0: this close I was really this close you know we try to be we try to be up-to-date here on Elwood City Limits the episodic Arthur podcast but I was just too late today when the uh, the the letter carrier came and unfortunately handed me a slip for what I assume is my copy of believe in yourself what Mm. we learned from 25 years of Arthur so I don't have it in my hand For this episode, but by the next episode, I should be able to give you uh, at least my thoughts on the new uh, Arthur book. The one that's looking back on Arthur and the last 25 years. So, sorry, no update on that this time.
1: Wow, looking back on the 25 years of Arthur, who who would come up with some sort of silly idea like going back and and looking at the cultural context of Arthur throughout the years. Sounds like <laughs> nonsense to me. Sounds like a waste of time, if you've asked me.
0: You know this Johnny-come-lately, Mark Brown? You yeah, know, wa- it's Waiting he? until 2022 to, <laughs> to look back on Arthur. We've been doing that for the last six years. Exactly. Um, so, yeah, welcome, everybody. Uh, Will Young here with Lucas Mancini. Uh, what I can tell you, though, is I was able to take part in a little bit of an Arthur thing to promote that book last week uh Mark Brown was part of a QA and a on Zoom so I actually did that um uh I did that at the same time I was like working at the same time so I work hell as yeah a- some
1: classic time theft <laughs> uh
0: I work as a closed captioner for uh, a lot of live events over Zoom so I was on a Zoom call for work and on my other laptop I was on a Zoom call with Mark Brown, so I wasn't able to get to the entire, it was about an hour long, and it is available on GBH's YouTube, but there were a couple of things that, in case you don't go back and watch the replay, or you weren't there yourself, a couple of notes here from Mr. Mark Brown, who got asked lots of questions from lots of mostly kids, but I'm sure some adults in there as well, Uh, just a couple of quick notes on his answers. Uh, His favorite Arthur episode is D.W. the copycat all the way back in season one. And his favorite character is D.W. So there you go. Uh, All you D.W. haters, the man himself, Mark Brown, endorses uh, Dora Winifred Reed. Uh, He said he's quoted as saying that Believe in Yourself, the book that he just released, is the closest I'll come to a memoir. So I'm looking forward to reading it. Uh, So one of the questions was, what happened to D.W. Snowball? and i wrote down the exact quote here from mark brown i will Ooh. never tell you
1: as it should be as it should be mark brown never revealed uh, what's in the mystery box
0: no I, I i think that was a great um that was a great one so i mean we've had our We've had our fun with the question of where is Elwood City, especially if you've been following on, if you've been re-listening to the episodes or listening to them for the first time on our YouTube channel, as I've been uploading them daily, uh, that was a big early years of ECL question. But Mark Brown says, Elwood City is meant to emulate Pennsylvania. So Pennsylvania is the unofficial official home of Elwood City.
1: The revelations, they're coming fast and furious.
0: Uh, Mark Brown teased a musical, an Arthur musical that could potentially tour schools and city even as early as next year, as we talk about all kinds of things that Arthur is going to be doing post television show. Uh, he answered my question. I asked him about uh, the favorite, the best piece of feedback he ever got. And he gave a very nice general answer of he appreciates pe- the feedback from people who grew up with Arthur. So uh, me and you, Lucas, exactly. he appreciates us.
1: Uh, what we've determined is what we already knew, which was the opinion of you and I. Will is is of utmost importance to Mark Brown.
0: Um, there is a <laughs> chance that Ar- that Arthur might get a movie in the future. Wow, uh, Mark Brown quoted as saying, "It's looking better and better. We're very excited about the potential of that." So we we already got one Arthur movie with Arthur's missing pal. The bar is in hell, so yes. we can go nowhere but
1: up. Uh, I that that's my mind is ablaze with questions. You know, would it be animated? Would it be live action? That's that's exciting stuff to hear. And
0: couple couple final things. He loves the Chance the Rapper cover of the Arthur theme song. He shouted that out specifically. He loved his take on it. And if he would have had his say. One person he would have loved to see on the show was Barack Obama, which would have been a landmark guest. But alas, seems like it's not to be.
1: It's true. I, with every passing year, the, uh, the fake Bill Clinton on Arthur uh, is becoming – they should go back in the same way they changed the um, Neil Armstrong episodes – they should really go back and replace him with uh, a different president, given um, kind of some of the news surrounding the Clintons in the recent years. But I digress.
0: Well, it's, so, I mean, Obama had a very—you've you've had a couple of presidents since Clinton. So uh, fake Bush would have been relatively easy to make a, a broad a broad <laughs> stereotype of series but, but, yeah. but is that the
1: president that you want on Arthur? I don't think so. Uh, hey dear arthur. I can't do a bush really uh, Nuclear I can't really do Yeah I should really think to myself Can I do the accent before I attempted it uh, But no yeah I think a, a bush jr um, Is not really who you want On arthur but it would be easy to make a cartoon Version and be like oh that's who's that supposed to be Wasn't there one There was a bush jr on arthur Once wasn't there it was like in a dream sequence Oh or something? it was
0: it was it was in a bionic Bunny and he was like a yes rabbit. We yes. gotta get us bionic bunny you know, uh, so yeah, close enough. We, I think, uh, uh, in the years since he's been president, Barack Obama has a very uh, distinctive speaking cadence. So I think mm-hmm. there would have been a way, absolutely, to get him on the show. It's wouldn't he get into like, well, of course, um, uh, you know, uh, the the sixtieth was he he was sixty, wasn't he? He was the oh. 60th president.
1: No, 45. 45. Sorry. For, sorry. Don't you don't you remember the 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 pins with like the swastika, and they like cross it out, but it's like it also is, is like a 45. Anyway, I
0: don't think I saw. Uh, no. Anyway, there uh, was like a
1: graphic design thing.
0: Yeah, you um, want to keep you want to keep that guy as far away from Arthur as possible, and then you get to and then you get to Biden, and it's like I don't know, like there is a Biden impression, but it's just like he's not mm. much of a character. He's not no, a character it's just like-, like Clinton was. <laughs>
1: You're, you're just pretending to be a confused old man, um, which we already have Grandpa Dave on Arthur, so. Um, <laughs> Grandpa Dave, the Joe Biden of Arthur. Arthur. I don't know. Man, I, you know, I... That
0: one time that Grandpa Dave called Arthur a, a little son of a...
1: Obviously, they're not going to put Trump on Arthur just because obviously emotions are high. Yes, uh, but come on, Will. A part of you doesn't think it would be a little bit funny to to. Ugh. I mean, we are. Well, here's the thing, though. We, as we've talked about this before, we already have Trump on Arthur. It's Mister Mister Crosswire.
0: Yeah, so, I, th- I, I think that's the closest we should get. And, you yeah. know, a, a cartoonish figure uh, like Trump that can actually learn lessons and become a better person. So yeah. we can we can live to dream. Of course, we always like to have correspondence from the people like you who listen to this show and send us emails at uh, elwoodcitylimits at gmail.com. Oh, I almost forgot. Um, we got a couple of good emails here. I will just quickly go over this one from Curtis, who responded to us uh, about our talk about when when Carl met George and. Um, Curtis sent a very very nice but a longer email about his experiences with the episode. As a young person Mm. he initially perceived Carl's portrayal on the show as very condescending. He experienced hardships with his own struggles with mental health and he didn't appreciate how it was represented on the show. And I'll quote him directly here. I know that autism is going to be different for everyone but whatever your case is, whether you have problems with it yourself you care for someone with it or if you even have a completely different life problem all I can say is reach out to others and get help. Getting out of the maze of your mind will always always help give you direction and support. And I should I should give you context when he says get help, he means support for any um for any mental distress or challenges that you're having, not curing your autism. I know that's not what he meant. I just want to be absolutely clear. That Arthur episode still leaves a bad taste in my mouth these days, but I can't fault it for what it tried to do. I hope you can give some summary of the ideas in my email that I struggled with mental illness in a very different way than some others may have. I was in the dark for the vast majority of it and viewed it all in a very negative light, viewing it almost like I had been cursed. I hope because of that, I haven't said anything extremely uncomfortable to other people on the spectrum. So Curtis wanted to communicate that he's and 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 near the end of his email, he's doing much better these days. So his initial reaction to when Carl met George was a negative one. It's softening a little bit, but that's that was that was his takeaway from it, at least initially. So I appreciated where Curtis was coming from.
1: Happy that you know uh, our listeners are uh, following the call because uh, that was one episode where. Uh, I was happy to give my take, but I was also happy to, uh, as as to steal a parlance from Twitter, sit my white ass down and listen. So I'm happy that uh, the listeners are contributing their uh, lived experiences.
0: Yes, me too. One here from one of our patrons, Vinny, who wanted to talk about the parents in Arthur. In the first few seasons, I found Jane and David to be bad parents when it came to disciplining D.W. or Arthur. For example, in D.W. Goes to Washington, D.W.'s complaining should have resulted in a talk between D.W. and the parents, as they paid a lot of money for the trip, and for D.W. to not be interested at all should have resulted in a good talking from the parents. In the episode Arthur's New Dog, after Pal destroys the platter that Dad made, Dave basically just says, Arthur, you need to train him properly, instead of just getting rid of him right then and there. You can make the argument that Arthur hadn't properly trained him yet, but after he destroyed the living room and the destroyed platter, my parents would have gotten rid of him immediately. And for the big one, play it again DW. I really don't need to go into detail about this one, but hearing crazy Bus 500 times a day would drive me to the point of insanity, and Jane and David just casually go about their day like it's normal. Now, I also wanted to touch on Bitsy for a second, and you guys always thought she was a little too overprotective, which I agree with. But I know a bunch of kids who were raised by single parents, and they were very overprotective. And the way I see it is that Buster is really the only thing that Bitsy has left, and she just wants to make sure that Buster is safe so she doesn't lose the main thing in her life. Uh, thanks again for all the fun in the Discord and all the great content. Well, thanks, Vinny. I think, I think first of all, we've softened to Bitsy quite a bit. I think she she left a yeah. bad first impression in the first couple of
1: seasons. Well, it was more of an over-the-top kind of character. I mean, honestly, we've just seen less of her overall. I would like to—there was a a good stretch there where we were getting a lot of Buster's home life, um, and that was kind of a big source of drama throughout the show. But um, as in these recent episodes, kind of Buster has been re-relegated back to his role of uh, the joke maker. Uh, So I'd be interested to see kind of what bits he's been up to lately.
0: So here's my take on Arthur's parents and we've talked about this a few times and it's come up in the discord and especially when it comes to like the whole crazy bus thing of like, um, you know, my parents wouldn't let me do this or 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 in just the examples that Vinny talks about. So <laughs> I think that a lot of the criticism that I've seen of them as parents and I include myself in this comes from people who aren't parents themselves. So I don't want to come down too critically on them because I've never done it myself. Now I can't account for everybody's experiences, but I want to give them a little bit of leeway. And in, and Vinny in the in the in the examples that you gave there, it sounds like or at least the the theme between them all seems to be they weren't severe enough, which is like I don't know, it's like for Arthur, I don't think that the parents I like that a lot of the parents aren't like super strict because
1: I also like the difference between four and eight.
0: Yeah. And I think that there's also a lot of things that as a parent, you learn to put up with, or you allow because it's annoying, but it's harmless. And you, and Mm. I know that, I know that, you know, they dial it up a bit with the crazy bus thing about how much DW fixates on it. But it's like, that's a lot of kids who do that. And ultimately, it's not worth fighting over, I don't think. Um, in terms of DW like ruining the vacation by being rude, I mean, sure, that would also get me a bit of a talking to, but I don't need to see that on the show, you know. And also, <laughs> DW has some really good lines out of being rude, so that would mean uh, that that would mean putting the focus somewhere else. I also feel that some of these complaints are. More against D.W.'s behavior than mm. uh, the way that Jane and Dave Reed parent her. So, I don't know. Like Vinny, I do. I do appreciate your thoughts here, and I know that you're not alone in thinking that about Arthur's parents, about how permissible they can be. And uh, don't get like we talked about it, and we continue to relitigate it whenever we bring up. Uh, Arthur's big hit and his parents very controversial response to what Arthur and DW did. But I also think that a lot of these responses are steeped in the fact that we watched it as kids. We have feelings from our childhood and we also have never been a lot of us have never been in the position ourselves of having to be mom and dad read. So I have some sympathy for them and I try to be understanding uh, in these types of situations and 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 again, it's like understanding with with uh, with cartoons. Coughed, and I was like, "I'm allergic to nuanced
1: takes." Well, <laughs> uh, no, I agree with you, Will, and I think that you know, I I, I also agree with the sentiment that most of the parenting probably ha- happens off screen in Arthur because it's just not mm-hmm. necessarily interesting storytelling. But uh, a lot of the complaints come in uh, response to when the parenting does happen. It usually comes down on Arthur harder than it does in DW. And again, I chalk that up to uh, an eight-year-old has a lot better senses of responsibility, what they're doing. Um, Their brain is more grown than a four-year-old. So I feel like you put a four-year-old on a longer leash, so to speak, because they are uh, less developed mentally, emotionally, and physically. Um, and don't, you know, they can act without knowing the consequences of their actions more than an eight year old would. And, and conversely, you know, a 14 year old knows the consequence of their actions more than an eight year old and and so on and so forth. And so, um, I, I think that that's why it always seems like Arthur is getting the short end of the stick, so to speak. But I think it would actually be less equitable, um, if Arthur's parents treated him and DW exactly the same, because they're not exactly Mm. the same.
0: Yes, I th- yeah, very good, very good point as well. So, Vinny, th- thank you for sparking that conversation. We do appreciate it. Our final one here is from Katie. I'm joining the emailers who started your backlog in August and have now finished. Hey, congratulations. I love listening to your podcast. My favorite moments of the show have been the episode that started with Will burping into the microphone. Jeez, I can't believe that made air. And <laughs> Luke- Lucas's impression of commercial dads when you discuss the episode, Is There a Doctor in the House? Now, that I don't remember.
1: Yeah, I don't remember that at all. Like... Mm. It's just I don't even know what do a do so dad many we do so many of these. Yeah. I have
0: to go back and listen. Um I'm the same age as Arthur, the show, not the character, and I enjoy watching the show when I was younger, but it didn't become one of my favorite shows until high school when I watched all of its episodes in order. My favorite characters are Sue Ellen, Mr. Ratburn, and Dr. Fugue. Great choices. One thing that baffles me when I listen to your podcast is your hatred towards the brain. You made some good points about him being rude and a killjoy sometimes, but weirdly enough, it's never bothered me. Personally, Muffy is Miley's favorite character because of how snobby and ignorant she is. I guess what makes <laughs> me like Brain is that I can relate to him a little bit. I tended to get good grades in school, and in some classes I was seen as the smart kid. It made me feel embarrassed because I didn't see myself as smart. I had to work really hard and study a lot to get good grades. Meanwhile, I can't relate to Muffy because I'm not very wealthy. It makes me wonder if there are Arthur viewers who find Muffy relatable because they also, noticeably, have more money than their friends. It can be an uncomfortable situation, and even though Muffy can be a caricature at times, I can see how some viewers could connect with Muffy in that situation. Just like Muffy, Brain can also sometimes be a caricature, but I like how Brain is confident and isn't ashamed to hide who he is, and his friends, most of the time, don't hate on him for it. Another thing I really like about him is that he's an athlete. A lot of nerd characters in other shows are stereotyped to be unathletic and unknowledgeable about sports. The fact that Brain is smart and a good athlete is refreshing. I view his occasional rudeness to be a character flaw, just like how all of the other characters have flaws that's a good way to look at brain I think um I just just call it maybe personal taste after watching all of mm. these episodes very closely it just ends up being that I'm personally more uh annoyed by brain and to your point Kate I Katie I um, I don't have I have more trouble relating to him because I was never really the smart kid or very athletic maybe I just hate brain because he's better than me <laughs>
1: I'll say that, uh, you know, my distaste for Brain has very little to do with, you know, how smart he is or what a good student he is. I think those are all great qualities. It is merely the way he conducts himself. Uh, So, like you said, Katie, the, the, the rudeness... Uh, you know, just because you're smart, it doesn't, uh, sometimes it, it seems like he's talking down to his peers, and even though it might be rightfully so, he knows a lot of things they don't, I think that's still kind of uncouth, and so that's kind of my big issue with Brain and Katie, I assume you don't do the same. Also, I'm, I'm no big fan of Muffy either, <laughs> especially when she's acting straight ignorant. um... But uh, maybe I get more of a kick out of Muffy uh, just because I find it because she's so much more of a character. It, it, you know, the, the performance of the character is so big. It's just kind of funny to me. Like, and similarly, why I thought, like, uh, the, the Trump guest spot on Arthur might be funny in a way. Uh, it's kind of a similar similar thing.
0: Uh, I have one question about Brain. What color do you see when you look at his sweater? The Arthur Wiki says that his sweater is gray, but I've always seen the color like purple. I I've seen I always see gray. Do you do, like? I'm not not to not to reopen the the whole dress thing from a couple of years ago. But Lucas, what color do you see when you look at Brain's sweater?
1: Um, I'm pulling up pictures of G- Brain right now. Um, this looks like gray to me. I mean, I yeah. could see it in different lightings. Uh, Katie, you might uh you might need to to check if you're you're colorblind. I think. Uh, okay so in certain lighting when it's darker when it's light it's very much gray mm. um sometimes in the lighting when it's darker i could almost see if i like unfocused my eyes it looking like like a mauve like a really a really gray mauve <laughs> um but i i think i'm i'm going with gray on this one you know gray matter just like his namesake
0: yeah, ooh, never thought about that one. Good good pickup. To comment on what Will reported last episode about new Arthur content beyond the last TV episode, I really like the idea of an Arthur podcast for two reasons. Hey, so do I. She means an Ar- a fictional Arthur podcast. First, mm. there's the potential of new Arthur stories without being subjected to terrible animation, uh, her words. And second, <laughs> it's a great opportunity to introduce children to the podcast medium. I'm interested to see how Arthur will change in this new format.
1: So am I. Lastly, I, want to express- I, 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 yeah. I just want to comment on that. If only we knew someone in the world of podcasting who also was formerly on Arthur. Someone needs to call mm. up Jason Schwimmer. Uh, I hear he, you. know, he's already got one Arthur podcast under his belt. And you know, me and you, Will, we're, we're Arthur podcasters, but we don't know anything about the world of show business. Uh, whereas Jason Schwimmer is a, a vet. Uh, so that might be something for him to take the reins on.
0: I agree. Lastly, I want to express appreciation towards all that you do on social media. A lot of people underestimate how challenging managing social media accounts can be since everyone engages in it on a daily basis. I did too, but after serving on the social media team at my job, I learned how hard it can be to create content and put it out on multiple platforms. Thank you for all that you do on social media. It's a great enhancement to your podcast. I mean, thank you. I feel like I don't do enough, but I, I, I try. That's I mentioned it before. Uh, Elwood City Limits is uploading its back catalog onto YouTube. Um, hoping to get to 100 subscribers so that I can say go to youtube.com slash Limits. but we don't have them yet. So if you haven't, go and subscribe. Go just find Elwood City Limits and subscribe to us on YouTube. And uh, listen to the older episodes. We've almost got the first season completely uploaded. I have more to say, but I'll leave it for a later email. Feel free to share my observations. Happy upcoming Lucas Mancini Day. That's right. It's right around the corner. Tis the season. Well, thank you, Katie, and thank you, everybody. ElwoodCityLimits at gmail.com. And we want to give a special thanks to our lovely patrons at Patreon.com slash ElwoodCityLimits. They got to hear last week's episode of For the Kids, a PBS Kids podcast. Very timely, all about Elmo's world. Uh, That was a great—I loved the discussion we had about that. And uh, if you check out the preview— uh, I I put one of the best parts in the preview, but I didn't put all the best parts in there. So check out the preview if you want. Subscribe to us if you please. We want to thank people such as RPG Fiend and Infra90. We want to thank Anthony Williams, Sparkymah32, Kirsten. We want to thank uh, Vinny. Vinny uh, sent us an email and JHC. We want to thank Allison Arshambo. We want to thank uh, Valeria. I'm going to go to the second page. I feel like the second page doesn't get enough love. Like uh, Greg Hagai, Christine Liscody, Marlo Stanfield, Kristen. We have a Kirsten and a Kristen. Shayna Bennett, Caitlin Harrington Robinson, uh, Riley Stevens, Joe Sue, uh, Froppy and Emily Kay, and Ian Collis. And also, hello to uh, Leanne. Uh, Leanne had a wonderful little message in the Discord. Well, I say wonderful. It was um, it was a good wake-up call. Leanne is a, it is a, is works as a, a, in, an, in a hospital, and uh, she had to stay over uh, during a storm that hit us last week and uh, was really working hard, as so many of our medical professionals are, whether doctors or nurses or first aid workers or paramedics. Uh, if you're on the front lines while COVID is still going on, thank you for everything that you do, and I'm sure our patrons and our listeners appreciate it the same. Okay, fernlets by fern. This has nothing to do with nuggets. I kind of, what you see, ah. I, I, you put you put lets or like ets <laughs> at the end of something. I'm thinking nuggets, but that's because I'm fern. Yeah,
1: I I haven't had a, a supper yet, Will, so don't tempt me. Oh. <laughs> well, yes, this has very
0: little to do with food. Um, the cold open to this one, we didn't get to this question until the end. And it was actually pretty heavy because it involves Arthur and Francine are on a roller coaster, and then Muffy kind of comes up to them and is like, "Hey, can I take pictures of you on the roller coaster? I'll pay you for it." And they're like, "Okay." So they go around and around the roller coaster. They're trying to get the right shots for Muffy. They you know they need to look like more scared, like they're having more fun. Da da da. And Arthur looks at the camera and says, "You ever find something? You ever find that something becomes a lot less fun when you have to do it?" And I was like, "Oh, geez." It's a little little close to home there, Arthur.
1: Dear listeners, uh, not to get too ahead of ourselves, but perhaps this roller coaster from this cold open is a metaphor for one's life. We'll get into that in a moment. Uh, One thing I do want to say before we move on is, uh, and I was actually, it's funny considering we had some emails about Muffy this week. Um, I was thinking about how something we don't give Muffy credit for is that she's kind of really creative. Uh, She's always doing projects. Now, I will say, um, this might be indicative of her class status. You have a lot of time and capacity to do projects when, you know, a lot of these projects are just her idea and then she gets Bailey to do it. But, I mean, in this instance, you know, she's trying to do a photo shoot of of them um, on the roller coaster, and I don't know a lot of 8-year-olds that would have that impulse. So uh, props to Buffy, I guess, for always trying to be creative and being an ideas person.
0: She is very much the idea, the idea girl, and and, and a material girl at that. I'm sorry. <laughs> um, so, and and I will also say to her credit, Muffy did the finger thing when she offered uh, Arthur and Francine yes. cash. Yes. The finger thing. I'm, means glad, you, taxes. I, I'm
1: glad you brought that up. Uh, someone needs to screen cap that. That's a good screen cap.
0: I'll get on it. Uh, so the actual episode it does it does have to do with Muffy. Muffy and Fern are out getting Mother's Day cards along with Mother's Day presents, and they accidentally bump into each other and end up exchanging their Mother's Day cards. So, you know, Muffy's just getting uh, whatever. It's just kind of a normal, general Mother's Day card, whereas Fern is making one with a heartfelt poem, including the line, I love you more than Boston cream pie, because I spell love, M-O-M-M-Y. I, uh,
1: so... Throughout this episode, not to get too ahead of ourselves, Ferd does make other cards, uh, and they all have some sort of, like, food pun in them. Yeah. uh, Which got me thinking, you know, Ferd's poetry, she's kind of, like, bringing a weird owl sensibility uh, to this (laughs) card making in that she's, you know, just likes to include the food stuff. I mean, she is
0: eight years old, so that's generally around the time when you start listening to Weird Al, and you true, and you find true. it. True, I'd say the most the most funny. Nothing against Weird Al, it's just like it's. I was just going to say, it's never funnier than when you're a kid.
1: I, I was going to say you start at eight, and then you never stop.
0: No, certainly not. You just you become a more respectful appreciator of Mr. <laughs> Yankovic more than I like Weird
1: Al. Yeah, exactly. It's like this isn't funny. This is art. Mm,
0: this is genius. <laughs> Um, so that's they get their uh, cards replaced Muffy finds out when she gives her card to her mother and great line here from Muffy Mother's Day isn't about money it's about what money can buy <laughs> <laughs> there are some good ones here for Muffy so uh, Muffy confused that her card is a bit more erudite than uh, she originally thought and then finds out it was because Fern and her accidentally swapped cards uh, Fern makes cards for her family as like a regular gift. She's, you know, as we know, a very talented writer and she and she gives them these called Fernlets. Uh it's a, it's a bit of an unfortunate name. I don't really care for it. Um and <laughs> Muffy tries to put her own name in it and gives it gives you Mufflet, which I think is mm, worse. Even mufflet worse, I
1: agree. I agree.
0: And it was around this time they're both in art class and Muffy sort of commissions Fern to write some Fernlets for her, that I realized this is an episode about independent business. And I kind of perked up. I was like, oh my God, like I can't believe Arthur is tackling this subject.
1: Well, not even independent business, um, but the idea of the side hustle. Yeah. Which is something that, you know, I thought kind of grew out of the social media age, you know, the side hustle grind set. Um, and I suppose we're getting up there now. This, this episode's from what, 2008? Um... But I feel like things like Twitter and, and Facebook are still in their infancy at this point, and certainly there is no Instagram, which is really where you see this idea of the side hustle and and um, turning your passion into another source of income. Boom! Uh, so it's interesting to see kind of how prescient this episode of Arthur is. Yeah, this this is years before the gig economy will become a thing.
0: So True. this this you're right, very very prescient, um, Muffy goes out of her way to create something of a company with fern uh muff fern cards featuring Fern Litz by fern without fern knowing you know she commission commissions a couple of cards and then muffy goes into production with them uh <laughs> not really to uh uh fern's knowledge uh and kids are around the school begin to purchase them for Father's Day. Uh, it's, a you know, another similar rhyme. Even Mrs. McGrady, it, nice to see Mrs. McGrady doing well after the cancer. She purchases a Muffern card as well. So they begin to, and Muffy begins to industrialize it. To your point, this is, she is uh, the kind of creativity that people in business have, which is to say, you know, you can, it's not artistic creativity, but it is a forward drive to continue to make business. Now, you know, you can th- think what you will of that negatively or positively, but it is it is something. It's motivation. Well, she's a motivating and, and character.
1: You know what? We see that kind of ideological and sensibility clash in this very episode. A little bit later on, though. First, we see that uh, Fern is up burning the midnight oil. Uh, fulfilling all these orders for Muffy. Now that she's realized that unbeknownst to her, she's kind of been sucked into Muffy's... Originally, she thought she was just doing a favor for a friend, and now she realizes she's been kind of deputized in this money-making scheme, uh, producing all these cards en masse.
0: Poor Fern, she's getting, she's getting burnout at eight years old after Muffy turns <laughs> Fernlets into a business for profit. And she also takes exception because Muffy refers to Fern as a greeting card poet, which Fern... Again, very very serious. She takes her art very seriously, not just a greeting card poet. I will say though, I personally think I could be a good greeting card writer. Like I've been complimented right, before right. on the messages I write for my family in greeting cards. I think I could do this professionally. I let's do say. it
1: for the. Let's do it to the test. Will yeah. Uh, off the dome, off the top. I want yeah. you to spit this nothing but dome. Yeah. Uh, it's my birthday coming up. It's your birthday. What's, what's Okay. What's gonna be my birthday wish? What's my birthday card? Hit so, me with you. Hit me with your best. Your best business. Let's keep it short and sweet.
0: So we're talking. We're talking like a blank birthday card. and I'm presenting this to you on Lucas yes. Mancini Day.
1: Correct. Okay.
0: Give me. Give se- me. Se- I'm, think- I'm thinking. I'm thinking. I'm thinking. Give me. Give me. A- give me a second.
1: Like, there's a couple of words that I'm that I'm settling on to start off with, and then I can get rolling from there. Ladies and gentlemen, you could t- cut the tension with a knife. We don't. I actually can't see Will on camera right now, but I can picture the intense face of concentration he is making right now, trying to conjure his creative juices. Co-host, co-owner, but most
0: important, most importantly, friend. There is no other word that you could put around that that would make it mean more. So I hope that your birthday helps you to be a better friend to everybody because you're
1: already a great friend to me. Oh, oh, I'm touched. I'm touched. Okay, well, I, you, I put you on the spot. You put your money where your mouth was. Uh, wow, you really do have the gift. And now I have to throw out that card. I'll have
0: to get you to think of something else. Yeah, true. <laughs> um, so yeah, Fern is getting is getting really feeling like she's being used uh, for you know for profit by the man. She has she's has a dream where okay. she's muff where she is in something of a Big Brother style is working on an assembly line cranking
1: out poems for the Poetron Six Thousand. <laughs> if if you know we have some younger listeners who have not yet to enter the workforce. Uh, this dream sequence, you know, we've had some really bone-chilling stuff on Arthur, you know, getting digested by clams, Mm -hmm. uh, the long arm of the law, uh, coming into your house to take you away, um, being trapped on a bus that is flying out into the universe and never makes any spot stops with a bunch of squid people, you know, some pretty terrifying situations have occurred in the dreams of Arthur characters. Um, this... What's scary about this is just how real it is. And how, you know, with Ferd punching in, this dream is an analogy for uh, the feeling you get when you are alienated from the fruits of one's labor, the alienation. Uh, And uh, I was like, dang, Arthur, Arthur really uh, came to cut deep this week. This was, this is... Not only did I think this was surprisingly kind of adult in its sensibilities and um, yeah. kind of how, how realistically it captures the feeling of, again, being alienated from your labor when you're doing a thankless job and you feel like the cog in the machine. Um, but I was like, I don't even know if kids are going to understand uh, just how accurate this is. Um, this was quite the sequence. I feel that
0: you and I and a lot of other people listening have felt that way with with jobs i felt that way with jobs i've had while doing this podcast it's a terror it's a terrible feeling but it's mm-hmm. not something that is just limited to our place in time or even our age like it's just really funny no. to see this in our- no. because because it's, you know it, sometimes it's, it's we in swing- the
1: marxist tradition yeah <laughs>
0: <laughs> sometimes we swing back and forth between like literally you know lessons that we learn as children to like this is evergreen. This is like these feelings are evergreen, unfortunately. Um and Fern tries to push back against this a little bit. She offers Muffy a a haiku in a card, which she explains is, you know, the traditional Japanese poetry of five syllables, seven syllables, five syllables. And <laughs> there's a funny part where Muffy gives the card to Brain and it's just like, "How would you feel getting this?" And Brain interprets the sentiment negatively, even though that's not how Fern meant it. And Brain says, I appreciate the subtlety of Japanese poetry as much as the next kid. But I would have just appreciated a normal greeting card. And Fern, again, is kind of pushing back against the the part of the cage she feels in. In the next scene, she gives Muffy an even more abstract uh, card with, like, words cut out of magazines. She calls it found verse. And Fern is also dressed like a beatnik. She's got yes. the stereotypical like black turtleneck, the um what what do you, what do you call it? A, a beret. She's got gl- hipster glasses on. It's just very funny. She's really yeah. uh, like being outspoken about how much she doesn't want to be doing this.
1: She looks like she's been hanging out, hanging out at Bushwick or something. This Yeah, is, uh, yeah no, I loved uh Fern Sticking it to the man and self-sabotaging, and you know, doing the art she wants to make as opposed as opposed to um, the art that her corporate overlords are compelling her to do. Uh, I thought this was an excellent sequence.
0: Yeah, I like I liked it a lot too. Very memorable. Um, and but she gets fired. Muffy doesn't like all of this going against the formula, so she fires Fern. But it doesn't last for very long. Uh, Fern doesn't uh, after she's been fired. She can't get the inspiration to write fernlets for even her family.
1: She... Oh, oh! But b- before we we move on, it's yeah, when when she's firing fern because fern is is doing all this stuff like making the haikus. Uh, there's a great line from Muffy where Muffy goes, "Different is fine as long as it's the same." <laughs> in trying to get a Fern to stay, I think I missed that. That's great! Oh my <laughs> god, Muffy, Muffy's got some
0: great lines in this episode. Um, yeah, so Fern tries to give a card to her mother, but it's just she she doesn't have any inspiration. So she gives her like a generic greeting card that she didn't write. I have to say here, I know that we started off this episode being critical or critiquing mom and dad read.
1: I don't like Fern's mom. I think she kind of sucks. Oh, whoa, whoa. I didn't realize we were going to have takes this episode will. Interesting. Well, I don't co- necessarily disagree, but I'm I'm curious to know your mentality behind it. It
0: just goes back to like you remember like the episode with Fern where she had the sleepover and her mom was really trying to put her over and it put and it was like to me it, the idea there was that like she has this idea of fern that isn't really who she is and here it was like fern is clearly having a bit of a crisis she's her inspiration is gone and her mother's first attempt is like not to comfort her but to be like yeah how can we get that back like i'm not i, I don't remember the exact quote but she's like she's like huh like well when can you start making cards again like the the way that she approached it really rubbed me the wrong way Because, like, her first instinct, and here we go. You know what? Uh, This one's to Vinny. You were being critical and not a parent. Here I am being critical and not a (laughs) parent. So, you know, just to be fair, I I don't want to feel like I was ganging up on anybody. Hey, I guess I do it too. Because, I don't know, the way that Firm's mom reacted to this really rubbed me the wrong way. So, uh, there's not, we haven't seen her very much, thankfully, but what we have seen of her uh, has not put a po- positive impression on me. We do see that Muffy's new writer for her, uh, her company <laughs> doesn't work out too well because she uh, she pays Binky to do some cards, but they're just not very good. So she changes the business name to Muffinky Cards, and now they're called Binklets. D-
1: doesn't she say she had to pay Binky to stop writing them? <laughs> something like that.
0: Um I did yeah, I didn't really write down any of the stuff he said. It's just that he's just not not as good at it as it, at it as Fern. So she kind of Muffy kind of gets around to asking Fern back, but Fern doesn't really want to do that anymore. She wants to find her inspiration to do it for fun. And that's the button on the episode is that Muffy discovers that you can make you can do what she was doing but not for profit. In fact, you can do it for fun like Muffy is like acting like she's never heard the word before just like huh (laughs) fun and that's that's how the episode ends I thought that I, I liked that I like that we will talk a little bit more about the themes of this episode uh or of this story but we have to talk about the other one first we'll save that for the end of the episode and we'll get to that in just a moment
1: Hey, everybody, it's Lucas from the Elwood City Limits podcast. And if you love ECL, there's a couple of ways to keep up with us. You can go to facebook.com Elwood City at ECL Podcast. That's our Twitter. We take questions on Tumblr. It's elwoodcitylimits.tumblr.com. There is an Instagram as well, Elwood City Limits on Instagram. Of course, if you want to donate to the show and get exclusive content, whether that's our full length commentary of the Arthur movies, our brand new bi weekly PBS kids review show as well as our video game movie reviews with the Sonic movie review and Pikachu movie review you can check out patreon.com slash Elwood City Limits uh, and that's also going to get you access to the Elwood City Limits Discord which me and Will like to post it from time to time and if you want that sweet sweet Elwood City Limits merch check out teespring.com slash stores slash Elwood hyphen city hyphen limits hyphen store you you can listen to the podcast at libsen.com slash Elwood Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and there's other podcast apps like Stitcher. And if we're not on your favorite app, let us know. And where can you let us know? Well, that's going to be at elwoodcitylimits at gmail.com. That's also where you can send us a question and we'll read it on the show. Finally, if you want to support the podcast, the best way to do so is to tell a friend who likes animation or Arthur or just podcasts in general, and to go to our iTunes page and rate us out of five stars. Apparently, that helps podcasts out. Bye, everybody. I
0: thought this one was going to be one thing, and it kind of ended up being a little bit different. Prunella and the Haunted Locker. And uh, that's, talk about a character we've come around on, Prunella. Uh, But it doesn't start there. It starts with the brain, boo, (laughs) just kidding, hosting the game show Face Your Fear. Which okay surely so, got to be based on Fear Factor.
1: Well, okay, this is what I was going to say, is that this has happened time and time again over our six years of doing this show, Will. We will, you know, be talking about an episode of Arthur from years ago, and somehow... It feels ripped from the headlines because we start this episode off with fake fear factor. Yeah. And who have I not been hearing? Who have I been hearing about oh. in the news nonstop?
0: Oh, no. Uh, is
1: <laughs> our fellow podcaster, yeah. uh, Joe Rogan, uh, former host of Fear Factor. Um, and so I was just like, this is its some kind of synchronicity. Uh, because that's, you know, between the trucker convoy, not to bring too much real life stuff into this Arthur episode, but between the trucker convoy and Joe Rogan, I feel like that's all I've been hearing about for the past days, whether I like it or not. Um, and now I can't even escape it in my Arthur. It's in my Arthur too, Will.
0: I, you know what? I kind of I should have known better. I should have known better than to make the fear factor comparison because like, ah well, it's like I'll just mention it and bring it up. I'm just like, no, it's going to be a thing. So sorry, everybody, if you can't, feel like you can't escape Joe Rogan, uh, you truly <laughs> can't. Um, and I and I also don't know that removing ECL from Spotify will really do anything. No, uh, true. To, but, you know, if it comes to that, we're ready to do that.
1: Well, so, we'll see. I don't know how Neil Young feels about the animal hierarchy, but if if he has <laughs> problems with our discussions about it, uh, who knows? Spotify listeners, uh, you might be missing your ECL at some time soon.
0: <laughs> we should ask him that. Somebody, somebody should, somebody should ask him that. Um, so this is more like a. Uh, it's not. It's it, it, it's fear factor in the sense of like you're facing your fears but it's more of a stand-up game show and with tailored fears as opposed to more general ones
1: mm. so the, f- the f- mori-esque in mori they would they would uh make people face their specific fear like do you remember like oh this w- woman's afraid of pickles sure and then mori would say y- you know you got to look at all these pickles that she would scream and run backstage much like all guests on mori at some point scream and run backstage
0: most most of them yeah we have the first one is Buster, whose fear is poached eggs. I've had poached eggs in a long time.
1: I'm not even sure if I've ever had poached eggs. Oh, they're Bussin'. I mean, I'm an egg guy. You know, I like yeah, egg in all forms. Uh, but, you know, dippable is is preferable for me. You know, I like a sunny side up because so, I like to dip. Uh, and similarly, mm. poached eggs. They got that runny yolk. Um, good stuff. I'm not afraid of them at all. And and neither is Buster. He gets over his fear. His fear.
0: Yeah, he tries them once, and he and he uh, proclaims that they need salt, but uh, he, he likes them all the same. DW is afraid of, and this is her word, octopussies, which... So, DW,
1: not a big uh, Roger Moore fan, I guess.
0: Was that Roger I could have sworn that was Sean Connery, but I might be wrong. I'm not much of a Bond head.
1: It was indeed, who played Octopussy? Wait a second. Yeah. Uh, uh,
0: anyway, what DW means isn't octopi, but she means half octopus, half kitten chimeras, which Brain tells her does not exist, so she doesn't have to be afraid of them. And finally, Prunella's sphere is a locker. She runs screaming away from it for some reason, which we will get into in the matter of the episode.
1: Yes, it was Roger Bohr in Octopussy. Okay. Uh, Maude Adams played the titular character.
0: So maybe DW is really afraid of Maude Adams. <laughs> <laughs> Prunella's locker is removed for repairs. So she gets to use locker 237. And Fern purports that it belonged once to a kid named Jack Murphy, who, after getting the locker, had a string of bad luck and then one day simply disappeared. Locker 237, inhabited by a kid named Jack. Uh, Nice shining references, guys. Uh, That's the most uh, shining I ever thought would ever get on PBS Kids.
1: It's true. It's pretty – it's more on the nose uh, than I would – ever suspect the Arthur writer's going when it comes to things like The Shining. Um, But, you know, I guess if you're a kid, you're not going to understand that context whatsoever. You're just like, oh, it's a creepy locker. So that's one for the adults. I also liked how when she says Locker 237, there's a great, like, horror movie sting. Um, The Arthur kind of... Everybody on the team, the writers, the animators, uh, people editing the episode together, really got to stretch their kind of uh, horror chops in this episode. Because often we'll have um arthur episodes that are about kind of horror subject matter you know spooky ghouls and ghosts and stuff but they're not really uh they're not really structured to build tension in the same way something like the shining would be yeah. um but in this episode from the jump this episode is uh, kind of totally unique in that it's structured to build tension in this scenario as uh kind of the situation ratchets up uh, further and further yeah, you're right. This is this
0: is meant to be more creepy than a lot of other Arthur episodes generally are. So Prunella does move her stuff there and she does end up running into a spat of bad luck, weird smells emitting from it, as well as strange noises. Now, the background to this is that Prunella is collecting popsicle sticks for a model of the Eiffel Tower, which she and is making along with Marina. Marina's helping her make it. And she stays up all night after she acts, her crystal ball accidentally knocks into it and knocks some pieces off of it. She pulls an all-nighter, only for her class to be canceled the next day. So she walks around with it all day, and it ends up getting really, really busted. In fact, she presents it one time as the awful tower, which mm, that's good wordplay. I like, <laughs> I liked that. Um, she mentions the locker to some of the of her friends at lunch. And they don't think much of it. Francine wants to investigate it a little further. She puts a b- bit more merit into the urban legend than Prunella is. Uh, we do get a line here. Brain says that Buster's locker smells like rotting fruit. To which Buster
1: says, it's one banana. I keep it around for emergencies. No, no. He says Buster smells like rotting. He goes, uh, it's not. He's trying to say that like, oh, lots of things smell weird, including Buster.
0: Oh, I, th- I thought it was Buster's. Is what he said. Cause, yeah, because yeah, yeah. I, I,
1: I, I wanted to think better
0: of the brain that he wasn't just calling Buster smelly.
1: You know what? You might be right, but I like to think that Buster keeps that thang on him, and he's he's <laughs> rocking a moldy banana at all times, just uh-huh. in case. Like he said, for emergencies, Buster doesn't want to get caught lacking. There is there is no evidence that we have that he's
0: not doing that. So fair <laughs> enough. Um. So, Pranella feels like she's being haunted by this locker. Um, she even has a dream that's a little upsetting. She has a dream that the haunted locker is alive, and wants to, and it eats her awful tower, and then it wants to eat her. It's got, like, eyes and razor-sharp teeth. It's a little unsettling. And what was even more unsettling was the shot of the locker after it eats the awful tower and barfs up sawdust.
1: Yes, this was some classic season one Arthur Hoarder. You could put this in the No Love Deep Lab video. Uh, Long time ECL listeners will know what I'm talking about. Um, This is the, when Arthur gets scary... I like it when it gets kind of legitimately unsettling. Like, some of those early season Arthur dream sequences, you just list them. There's even more, you know, Binky getting uh, eaten by a giant burger, you know, getting trapped in his nightlight. There's, there's so many Arthur nightmares that are kind of like if you take away... The friendly cartoon pastiche uh, would actually be really horrifying if they were happening to you. Uh, And I count this one amongst those classics. This, to me, is a return to form uh, because one of the reasons I like Arthur is the really kind of striking nightmares. And so I thought this was, uh, gave me seasons one to three vibes, which is about as high of a compliment as I could bestow on this type of sequence in Arthur.
0: Yeah, it was, uh, gave me a bit of a flashback to all those. Really unsettling and upsetting Arthur visions from our youth. So Prunella is really, the vibes are off with this locker, and she really doesn't want to interact with it anymore. But Marina gives her a little bit of a pep talk and courage, and inspires Prunella to be brave. So Prunella does, she figures that she'll ask the locker what it wants, and you know, she hears weird noises, like the locker asking for salt. And you know, one day it smells like onions. The next day it smells like cabbage. And that day it smells like apple pie. And then, as I f- I figured out from the <laughs> from the beginning, because I'm so smart, I'm smarter than the kids show. Uh-huh. Prunella discovers that the locker is next to a vent, which leads to the cafeteria. So what she was hearing and smelling was what Mrs. McGrady had going on. So it was never really haunted in the first place. Uh, i got to say, not to make a big thing out of it, felt a little weird when Prunella came in and asked Mrs. McGrady, you're not a ghost. And I'm like, Prunella, she just got back, man. Like, (laughs) come on.
1: (laughs) It's true. It's a little bit insensitive.
0: Yeah. Mrs. McGrady took it in stride, though. So uh, uh, Prunella is featured in the Frensky Star for – uh, discovering the mystery behind the locker, a lot of Frensky star mentions in this episode. So glad we're getting back to that in terms of Arthur lore, and you know th- there was you know there was no ghost. Brunella faced her fear, all this kind of stuff. The final shot. Speaking of like old Arthur, this is very much into the magic realism that we used to talk about. The final shot is you know one of the one of I think I forget if it's Buster or Francine is just like yeah well. It's like, I guess there really was no ghost here after all. And the final shot is of one of the swings swinging by itself while the voice of a little boy is heard to be laughing, implying that the ghost of Jack Murphy might actually be real.
1: Which, again, a throwback to kind of the classic magical realism sensibilities of early Arthur Seasons where we would have, you know, a very tight bow uh, for the episode. All the kids literally like laughing, being like, oh, I guess it's not real after all, walking off into the sunset. And then we get one little shot of, oh, maybe it was real. Maybe the snowball was actually stolen by the aliens.
0: Yeah, I know. Like, why do people keep asking about the snowball? We knew, we know that aliens took it. That's true. Just, just I, I, I get it. I'm fine with that. <laughs> Yeah, that's uh, a <laughs> a little bit a little bit uh slighter than the other one, but uh yeah, that's what that's what we got for that. So, let's go back to Fernlets by Fern. Probably one of my least favorite names of an episode. But what did you think of the episode itself, Lucas?
1: I thought this was a great episode. Hmm. Uh first of all, it's great to check in with Fern after we haven't did so long. And second of all, and I'm sure you'll speak on this a little bit more, Will, I was really taken aback by how applicable and current this episode still felt. In fact, I think this episode's message is even more applicable than in the time when it first came out because we've gotten to an era where, you know, if you have a hobby, you know, if you knit, uh, whatever your hobby is, you are kind of pressured by the world at large to monetize it. Everybody's doing side hustles, um, whatever their kind of creative outlet may be. There's all this pressure. I mean, God, look at me and you, Will. Uh, we are doing this podcast first and foremost because it's fun, but we still have that Patreon money coming in every month, and partially that's this. Episode is applicable to us, and that you know, I don't know about you, but I wouldn't be doing this show if it ever ceased being fun. I would be like, you know what, Uh, the buddy, the what little buddy we do get in, and I'm just, I not to, you know, uh, discredit all of our lovely Patreon subscribers, but it's not a fortune. Um, uh, it wouldn't be worth it if it wasn't fun, and it being fun is first and foremost, and that's kind of the moral of this episode. Um, and I think it still rings true. So I was really, really impressed. By Fernlitz by Fern. Um, I also think that Muffy's very funny throughout the episode. Lots of good Muffy lines. Um, what about you, Will? How did you feel about it?
0: I agree. This is one of my favorites of the season so far. Uh, and we're coming up to the end of the season very quickly. But for the reasons you said, like, I was surprised. i just like, Wow you really can relate this to kids in a way that helps them to understand because this is more of a reality of what a lot of us are dealing with these days. I have like three, basically my job is like three side hustles fused into one job, including, I do include Elwood City Limits as a job, although it's easily my favorite one because it feels the least like one. Um, And it was really interesting to see that translated into a cartoon, uh, especially one that isn't, in step with where you know, I think if you like if you're making a cartoon today, it's a lot easier and more natural to include things like side hustles or crowdfunding or you know the relationship between work and worker. But in 2010, it's just like I don't know, I felt like that was a little bit less what kids programming was going to talk about when relating to more adult issues. It's just very interesting to bring in even just the concept of work itself. It's not something, you know, when you're eight years old, It really isn't something you have to worry about. We've done it before on Arthur and I usually really enjoy it. And this is, this is no different. Um, I really liked, because it's Fern, you get to explore it from a, uh, creative standpoint of what it's like to have your work, uh, used what it's like to have your talent used for profit and because I think oftentimes it's more like your hard physical labor is you know if you have an episode of like oh a lemonade stand or like a snow shoveling business or something but this is like Fern's creative labor is just as important as physical labor and it does take a toll when it's misused and it affects her personal life So I found it very interesting. I like how it wrapped up. It's also, it's very small scale, so nothing too, too serious. But yeah, uh, great for an episode. Some great Muffy. I really think Muffy got some great lines and wasn't so much playing the antagonist necessarily as she was playing somebody who is misguided. And that's the joy of cartoons, as we mentioned with Mr. Crosswire being like Trump. It's like, M- Muffy is a type of business person who can learn from their mistakes and uh make good with the people whose uh labor they misuse unlike in real life where that doesn't mm, happen.
1: Mm, mm.
0: So uh, yeah, I really enjoyed this episode more than I figured that I would. Um <laughs> I don't have very much to say about Prunella and the Haunted Locker. It's fine. There's you know, it's it, it like I said, my notes on it are not much at all. There's a couple of like little pieces in there. Like, yes, I enjoyed the references to The Shining, um, and and getting to a little bit of a spooky story is not is not too bad. But yeah, I really don't have that much to say about it. It's just like eh, kind of don't really feel anything about it if I'm if I'm honest. And that's too bad because I think that a lot of Prunella episodes can take advantage of the fact that she has you know, a different personality than a lot of the other characters and can do different types of stories, which this was a different type of story than you normally get, but it also just felt very ephemeral. There's not a lot to it, and I probably won't think about it going forward.
1: This was one that worked for me, I think, more than it worked for you. I really, okay. really enjoyed uh, this episode. I think that uh, Purnell is a really interesting choice because... She is uh, probably, with the exception of her sister, one of the more superstitious of the Arthur characters. So she would kind of uh, start to believe that all these actually unrelated coincidences and bad luck were actually related to a haunted locker. I liked the setup of we get to see this uh, fake character of Jack who went to Elwood City in the 50s. Um, And there's some fun stuff where, uh, you know, we get to see Jack and and kind of his school day and all the bad luck that befalls him. Uh, And then we see later on, as the mystery starts to unfold, you know, Francine pulling out the picture of the class from the 70s. and We get all these great 70s outfits and haircuts. There was a character with the same name, but it wasn't Jack. It was like the J initial. Um, And, you know, as this mystery is unfolding, and maybe it's because I don't have the big brain you do, Will, and I didn't realize that it was just (laughs) literally next to Mrs. McGrady's office until—office—Mrs. missus McGrady. Grady's kitchen until the very 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 end where she hears the voice uh but before that I was like what's going on here is there a haunted locker like what are the source of these smells like I was kind of like hooked um and I think it ratchets up the tension Effectively enough where it gets legitimately a little bit spooky with the dream sequences and stuff like that. So, I don't know. I was really engaged for Prunella and the Haunted Locker. Um, And I thought it was nice to check in back with Prunella again. Though you're right, she is kind of generic in this episode. It doesn't really play to any of her individual strengths besides her being particularly superstitious. Uh, But uh, I, I really kind of enjoyed this as far as spooky Arthur episodes go.
0: Well, I'm glad that you got a bit more out of it. It's always it's it always makes me feel better when if it doesn't hit for one of us, er, for both of us, than it does for one of us. So good, I'm glad. It's and I've nothing against it. It's just yeah, I don't really have any feelings on it whatsoever, which happens, and the, I'm totally fine. I'd rather I'd almost rather feel nothing than feel actively annoyed or angry, which is very very rare. Yeah, like I said, we're coming up very soon to the end of season thirteen of Arthur. And we've got some big stuff coming your way for the month of February. I'll mention, first of all, of course, that coming up next week will be another episode of For the Kids, a PBS Kids podcast. And patrons, you have until Sunday, February 6th, to get your vote in. Go to the Patreon website, click the link. It's also in the Discord, and you can always ask for the link if you can't find it. And you can vote for one of three PBS Kids shows on this this poll on, on the poll this time will be three shows that we've never covered. It's a Big, Big World, Sid the Science Kid, and Super Why. Let us know which one we should be tackling next week on Patreon, and we will do it.
1: Folks, if this weighs your choice either way, I haven't seen any of those. Yeah,
0: me neither. Uh, I know very little about any of them, so we'll be going into this truly, truly blind. Now, of course, in two weeks from then, we'll be coming back for another episode of Elwood City Limits. And that will be coinciding very much so with Lucas Mancini Day. And then that weekend, well, that's going to be something big. Lucas, Saturday, February the 19th, what's going on?
1: We're doing another live stream. Back by popular demand. That's right. right. Set your watches. Twitch.tv slash Elwood City Limits pod. Uh, we're doing another live stream and yeah, we're going to be ranking the, uh, we're going to be doing some ranking. I think we're going to start off with doing, uh, all the theme songs for the PBS shows we've watched on for the kids. Yep. Uh, and then we might have some other stuff planned if, depending on how long that takes, but we'll see. Uh, but yeah, another live stream. The first one was a blast. I'm going to figure out how to make it so it doesn't disappear after we finish it this time. Uh, and yeah, so, uh, set your watches to the, and if you subscribe, if you have, I mean, I, I, you don't have to subscribe on Twitch. It's all weird. You have to pay to subscribe, follow, mm. uh, if you haven't already twitch.tv slash Elwood city limits, you can follow for free, uh, and get notified when we go live on the 20th
0: on the 19th.
1: 19th. Yes, sorry. Did I I said twi- 20 <laughs> said a bunch 20th. of times. Dude, my fe- my February is crazy. Yes, it's, on the 19th. We're
0: entering into Aquarius season and I only know that yes. because it's Lucas Mancini <laughs> yes. day. So it's it's going to keep it's going to keep getting buck wild from there. Saturday, February 19th. We don't have a time established yet, but it will likely be in the evening for us Atlantic Canadians. So keep your eyes peeled on our socials. And we will give you all the information that you need and thank you for supporting us uh, we are so excited to do another stream and we're excited to keep on doing the podcast uh, before i forget to tell you in two weeks we'll be talking about the episodes paradise lost and the pride of lakewood so get ready for that one and yeah the february february is going to be big we've got the stream we've got another episode of for the kids we've got more elwood city limits and it's going to be Lucas Mancini Day. So uh, get your birthday wishes ready uh, for uh, around the same week as the stream. So, uh, And there'll probably be some fun surprises there, too. Well, that's a good, going to be it for Elwood City Limits for this week. Thanks a lot for joining us. My name's Will Young. And for Lucas Mancini.
1: I helped. See? That's my stick. I'd recognize it anywhere.
0: We'll see you next time.